welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know, we say like a lot. It's kind of the point. Because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl in the Gov, the podcast. Happy Wednesday. When we're recording this, it's the day Joe Biden finally announced his re-election bid, which mm-hmm. I can't wait to get all your thoughts on everything. I feel like when we talked about it, I don't know, maybe a few weeks ago, we were like, how is he going to do it? Is he going to do it like at a concert? Is he going to throw a whole party? Like, nope, just a little campaign video. And he also went and spoke at a supportive labor group later in the day and had a speech there. But that's that's the announcement. There it is. It really, I mean, I feel like with these, there's so much hype. And like, when's it going to be? What's the what's the vibe going to be? I mean, I think the speaking with a labor group is the perfect move for him. That is the group that he needs to win back over like so much so much of that group has gone republican in recent years so i do think that's smart i think what was weird to me was that i woke up at like 8 15 this morning and i had all the notifications of president biden officially reannounces campaign yada yada whatever and they were all from like 6 30 in the morning like it was a really early release they were trying to get the jump on the news cycle but almost yeah. so early i was like so early that I was like, okay, on Punchbowl, if I'm looking at his schedule, I don't even think he's up yet. Like, yeah, it's, it just was like kind of interesting to me because while I feel like a lot of people wake up and catch up on the news and are still like, okay, what do I need to know for the day? It was almost so early that you could easily have missed it. You know what I mean? And I think, yeah, they probably just wanted it to be on like the early morning shows and have it just be the conversation the entire day. But yeah, that is that's bright and early for sure. It's also weird given that there's been they've been leading up, especially in the last week. They're like he's announcing this on Tuesday mm-hmm. to then release it so early. Like I would have preferred to have seen like I don't know a official like live broadcast moment at like during I don't yeah. know the Today Show or something like that. I just. Yeah, I, I kept like kind of looking around too because obviously I'm way past you guys time timeline wise. Yeah, so didn't see it for probably like six hours after. But yeah, I was also kind of like looking through the articles, being like, it, "Where did he do it? Is there some more information on this announcement?" And it was really just the video campaign website, and then again he has the speech. But did you watch the video? I did. I did watch the video. Thoughts. My thoughts were, and I let me just. Asterisk this. I watched it this morning when I was first waking up pre-coffee. I definitely need to watch it again because we know mm-hmm. I don't function pre-coffee. Like, God help me. But from that, in that brain space, I did think it was good. Initial reaction yeah. was like, wow, this is good. I think whoever they paid to do the actual video and the cinematography of it all did a great job. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely good. Was it wow, mind-blowing? No, but it was definitely well-made and it was also inspiring, had that level of inspiration that was necessary. I think there's so much more that this campaign needs to do to really lay out everything he's done. Yeah, it's just going to be interesting, especially the age thing. It's uh, Everyone's talking about it. So 
I'm just curious to see how they how they play everything. Well, okay. I have two comments off of that. One, I almost feel like his campaign needs to be a not wow. Like a this is this is what a presidency should be. You're not supposed to be in love with your president like yeah. some you know figure you put on a pedestal. Like this is supposed to feel like the every guy campaign. So mm-hmm. I do actually think there is something to that. That doesn't mean not laying out all the things they've accomplished and things they need to do. But in terms yeah. of the like the vibe, the like we're all in it together. This is the norm. This is or creating a norm. I think there's something to that. Yeah. To the age point, I do think, and I might have said this before, but God knows, is am I the one that's like 80 something? I swear. But is the fact that or a benefit to Biden if Trump ends up being the nominee is because Trump is no youngster either. Right. The age argument is harder to play. Whereas like if you have someone yeah. like a Ron DeSantis, well, okay, like the argument of like, well, Ronnie Boy is gonna be big. Yeah. So it's yeah, just interesting sure. sort of seeing that unfold. Yeah. It's officially starting. Ron DeSantis is supposed to announce end of May, so we'll see if that happens. But yeah, overall, it was just kind of a oh, official. Yeah, check that's- that off the list kind of thing. But yeah, there it is, folks. We made it. He topped. Julie Chavez Rodriguez, who is a senior White House advisor and granddaughter of the iconic labor leader Cesar Chavez as his campaign manager. That was also like a big, big thing for a long time. Now people speculating on who was going to be the campaign manager and who was going to lead lead the charge. So that's now official. And yeah, I'm curious to see too, like how this leadership changes things compared to last last campaign and all of that. So we will see, folks. We will see. Mm-hmm. A classic, like, we'll keep you updated, dare I say? Yeah, we'll be. Definitely, this will be topic of conversation, I'm sure, in weeks Wait. to come for over a year. That reminds me, though, speaking of the long game, like, the extremes of the extremes on that. Okay, maybe that's being really dramatic. But yesterday, we were chatting about this a little bit. The fact that the lieutenant governor of California already put her hat in the ring for I've never 2026. Seen anything like that. For the governor's race, like that is, I've never like, seen anything. I like can that. imagine in my brain, like maybe what I might be doing in 2024, but imagine what I'm doing right now in 2026. That doesn't mean don't plan for the long game. I'm not hating on it, but I'm like, holy. No, I mean, holy. You plan, you plan, and God laughs. It, it is wild to think that that was announced for 2026. Like, I've never seen anything like that. I I haven't done much like reading on it. If people are like, what the fuck? Why did she do that so early? Especially because she's lieutenant governor. She's very well known in the state. I don't think she needs to do like too much to when it comes to actually campaign for that race to stand out. Like she is a very well known name in California. So I'm just really confused on the tactic there. Yeah. And I also was like, yeah, because and then who knows what Gavin's going to do, but Gavin would for sure endorse her. I don't know if he's going to do that yet or what, but I also just yeah, feel like crazy. There's so much that could happen between now and even 2024. Yeah. So like that alone, it just it might change someone's point of view of what they're going to do or how they perceive things or how they want to tackle issues or like what the best role for them is. It's just oh yeah, like where the state goes because it's like you really should run for something 
because of something you want to get done or like things can change so much, like you said, in the span of three years, different issues can come to the forefront, you know? So it's like, it's just interesting to announce it so early. And then it just, to me, just reads like, oh no, like this is my next career move versus I want to govern on these things because this is what the times are calling for. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do know what you mean. I mean, I do think that like at the same time though, like it's good to see a woman of that stature be like, yeah, like, fuck it. Like, that is what I want to do with my career. I do want to be governor of California. So like, you know, in a sense, like I do, I love it and I love that ownership of it. But I do think that's where like politics and career get so like wonky because you're like, at the end of the day, like someone is making long game political or career moves in politics, not just her, like just in general. Yeah. And then, I don't think it's bad to have aspirations in in politics if you're an elected official if you want you know to see yourself in a certain seat one day and you're also supposed to announce with like these are my visions these are my issues and it's too early to even know what 2026 is going to call for so it's just kind of weird but i agree with that no i mean we'll we'll see on that one too jesus christ i hope we have to talk about that for at least two years no but it makes me think too is like that's an interesting setup for a gavin 2028 for sure well, he's making some type of move. Who knows what? Yeah. And then also all the California senator stuff, too. I don't know what's going to happen with that. But so much California. Yeah. I was doing, and this we'll get into it in a second, obviously, but I was doing our candidate watch for the newsletter. And I was like, I had California updates out the wazoo. I was like, I promise everyone this is not just a California newsletter. Like, we really cover all over the place. Like, this is, yeah. I just, it was funny. I was, there's a lot going on. There really I mean, it's is. rare, too, that we even have things you are paying attention to because it's usually pretty obvious who's going to win what in the state. So especially, you know, bigger gubernatorial or Senate races. Yeah. And that's the thing even with the California Senate race. It's like it's really just the primary that matters. And then after that, it's like smooth sailing for whoever gets it. So it's just it's a whole different world out here for sure. But yeah, crazy stuff. Should um, we? Shall we? We shall. Okay, so this week's episode has some familiar faces. We have our friends from Cap Action, specifically the 10 podcast. We have co-hosts Daniela and Colin on the show. And this is literally like, we have so many episodes where it's like we could have just chatted for hours, but seriously, this is really one of them because it was kind of partially like gossip sash, like political gossip sash, partially also talking about think tanks and understanding like the connection to media, partially talking about like Trump doing Trump things. There was just so much to get into. And oh my, do we do we talk about the Real Housewives? Did that make it into the cut? I mean, that's... I think we did. We did get to some pop culture, reality, TV stuff, I think at the end. So you'll have to listen through to get to get that tea. Exactly. I was like, hmm, did we, were we still recording? Hopefully we were still recording at that point. Regardless, this conversation is so fun. It's one to share with your friends, one to listen to two, one honestly to kind of like use as a mock-up for how to have a conversation with your friends about politics. Like I think it's kind of like the political friends at the brunch table. We also went on the 10 podcast. So I'll link it in the show notes. Make sure to go listen to that episode as well. We talked about new media, girl in the gov, all the things. So you don't want to miss it. And if you have not made the 10th podcast a part of your regular rotation, you're missing out. 
you are missing out. So make sure to add that in and obviously continue listening. So without further ado, here's Danielle and Colin. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. If you work in the political space, listen up. Here at Girl on the Gov, we have built our whole business around effectively marketing political messaging through digital media. And we want to help you do the same. We have a full digital media consulting menu these days tailored specifically to the political space. Number one, hashtag viral. It is our paid social media newsletter that comes straight to your inbox every Tuesday. If you've ever thought uh, this meeting could have been an email, this newsletter is for you. We give basics to best practices, platform updates, and the content ideas you need to go hashtag viral. And for offering number two, if you want some one-on-one face-to-face attention, we offer that too. We provide social media audits and consulting to help you achieve the conversions and engagement you've been hoping for from your social media content. And number three, in our newest edition, Podcast Consulting, we are the minds behind this gorgeous political podcast for young voters that we've been running for two and a half years now. So we know a thing or two about how not only to get a podcast off the ground, but how to grow an audience. We provide podcast consulting for anyone trying to get their podcast started or provide podcast audits for those who have started their pod but want to see it take off. Podcasting is a great new in-house digital media marketing tool and a great way for any candidate elected or org to amplify their work and their voice. So head to girlinthegov.com slash consulting to learn more about our services and to sign up for hashtag viral to start slaying the beast that is digital media. Skeptical about custom beauty? I get it. My feed is flooded with customized this and personalized that, all promising to fix my split ends and my dry skin and all of the things. But when pros says custom, they actually mean it. It's no gimmick. And your formula literally couldn't exist without you. Each and every bottle of pros custom hair care and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals, and they get personal. Pros covers everything from diet, exercise, and stress levels to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. They even asked me about, you know, where I live, the water hardiness that I have coming from my shower, UV index, all of the things. Next, they recommended a full routine of truly personalized products, which were only produced after I placed my order. Nothing pre-mixed, nothing off the shelf. And I know from experience, one-of-a-kind formulas equal one-in-a-million results. Since I switched to pros, I've noticed that my hair is definitely fuller. I have thinner hair that just like will not hold a curl or stay voluminous. And ever since using pros, that has changed. But don't just take my word for it. In a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% 50% off your first subscription order at 
pros.com slash girl and gov. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash G-I-R-L-A-N-D-G-O-V for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash girl and gov. Hi, guys. Welcome to Girl Know the Podcast. We are so excited to have you. Fellow podcast host, one that we absolutely love. Very biased. Very, very biased, I know. But regardless, <laughs> we are so happy to have you guys. And we need to know, for those that haven't tuned into the tent yet, what is the tent? How did it get started? How did you two make your way onto this pod? Give us the lay of the <laughs> land. And Dee, we'll start with you. Sure. So the tent actually started as a different podcast called Thinking Cap. Oh, maybe four years ago? What is time? Time is a flat circle. <laughs> it was definitely pre-pre-pandemic. And, you know, we were just thinking around in our, our press shop. We're like, you know, we're a think tank. Uh, we are heavily focused on communications. We should probably have a podcast. So my former colleague, Sally Tucker, did a lot of research into it. And then we worked on figuring out what the name was. And then we launched. And it was a really, I wasn't the host then. We had our inaugural co-hosts back then were Michelle and Igor. And it really just took off from there. We rebranded, I want to say in 20, maybe 2019, beginning of 2020, Leading up to the election, we became the Tent Podcast because we are a C4 podcast, which people were like, what does that mean? It means we can talk about politics. <laughs> and we knew that everyone was going to be interested in hearing our thoughts on the election cycle. And so that's why we became the Tent. There it is. That's amazing. Also, I love the thinking cap. Name I, know, well. I know. We have like a R. thinking cap. Section or segment or something come back into the mix because that is that is fun it was I know so I clever I, know, I wish i could take credit for it but it wasn't my idea <laughs> no <laughs> obsessed <laughs> love it so much well the tent is a part of cap action can you kind of explain what cap action is what's its goal give us that rundown too yeah sure so cap action is the it's the action arm of the center for american progress so our focus is around turning the issues of the day into, into opportunities for the American people to engage their elected officials, make their voices heard at the ballot box, to influence our nation's most pressing policy priorities. So everything from you know the cost of health care, the cost of housing, to defending abortion rights and our democracy that we know are just, you know, under unprecedented threat. So that is cap action. We have been, like Daniela said, you know, we are heavily involved around politics and elections. So we did a lot of work last year around, you know, the increasing influence of MAGA Republicans, which we know the Republican Party is just marching in lockstep in this more and more <laughs> radical and extreme direction, it seems by the day. And it's, you know, it's been our Focus to really educate the public about, you know, what the consequences of that are for all of us as individuals and, and you know, our institutions and country as a whole. Yeah, totally. I, for one, have been having a very weirdly Trump day. Oh, explain. Oh. So, okay. So, <laughs> Sounds morning, I know it was, it was a very like, you know, when you like feel like you're in a simulation, that's what my morning felt like. I was like, okay, it's nice enough out. It's not freezing. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to start my day. There's so much mayhem going on. I'm going to actually start my day not on my phone and go for a walk. 
And then literally several people drove by me wearing Trump hats, especially this one guy he waves at me. So, and it's new. It was a new hat. And I was like, what in God's name? Like we are not just supporting, we are in merch. And then I take myself down another street. I make a turn. And then there's a car with a sticker on the back that not only has Trump 2024 on it, but it has CRT in a circle and crossed out. And I was like, like, first of all, are you kidding? That's me? a vibe. That's a vibe. Yeah, I was like, I was like, well, that killed my walk. That really, you know, the mental health moment that was supposed to be just really took me. I was like, I'm going to send myself to therapy right now. Thank you. Yeah. So, nonetheless, there is a lot going on in the Trump MAGA world. It seems to be the thing that we really can't get rid of. Like it is mm-hmm. like an infestation, for lack of better words. And I'm curious with the work that you guys do, how how it's impacted sort of the direction that CAP has gone and what the focuses have been and are right now. Yeah, I mean, it's had a, a tremendous impact to use one of his words. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not his word. He uses it. He does not own any words. You know, I, I think in 2016, when when Trump ran that election, it was oh, it was a lot, right? It was a, a lot of people, especially at CAP, just were really upset and and weren't like sure what was going to happen here. And I I was here in the beginning in 2005, beginning ish, when George W. Bush was president. And so I had to remind people that like Cap was born in a position of being in opposition, right? Yeah. So we knew how to fight back against bad policies. We knew how to push back on Republicans. We didn't think it was going to be like that. Like nothing can prepare you for Yeah, totally different eras. Totally (laughs) different, right? So I was like what we were doing in the Bush years, but on steroids. On steroids, Uh, yeah. But it really, I think it it taught us how the importance of fighting and, and, you know, fighting for the American people and giving people a sense of of hope when things seem so incredibly bleak in the beginning of 2017. And and it sort of continued, like, even in the beginning of 2021, before Biden got elected, and we all remember January 6th, right? So Trump may not be in office, but as, you know, Colin said, mega Republicans exist. He has totally infected and taken over that party. So everything that we are doing now, it's like fighting like the remnants of Trump and what Trump has left of the of the Republican yeah. Party. Right. And I think one thing that's important for at least to me as I do this work is our politics have gotten really crass, like more crass than I could ever remember in my decades of work. And it's important to remember that at the core of what we do are people, are people who are trying to feed their kids, people who are trying to just live their lives. They don't care about what's going on over here. And like, I can't let myself be consumed by the crassness of what they are doing. Be laser focused on the policies and how we can help either stop them, change them or push for ones that we know are going to benefit people. Absolutely. No, it's so true. Go ahead. I'd also just add add to that. I mean, unfortunately, it seems like for you know, Republican voters, unfortunately, the extremism seems to be a feature, not a bug, <laughs> which yeah. is deeply alarming and, you know, not something I think the Republican Party or any of the rest of us have figured out how to break that spell. But I'd also just add, you know, as bad as like the first Trump term was and unfortunately how far reaching his influence is in the party right now 
the prospect of a potential second Trump term where he's not, you know, better down, uh, you know, concerned about running for reelection, you know, what bridges he's burning with people in the mm-hmm. party, you know, the revenge tour that he would be on given mm-hmm. everything that's happened over the course of the past several years is just all the more terrifying of just how much more scary and how much more damage this guy could do if he were to get power again. You thought, you know, the cabinet was full of, you know, people like Ryan Zinke and, you know, Tom Price and others, you know, you thought they were bad. (laughs) <laughs> buckle up because secretary lot, of state marjorie taylor green right that's, yeah exactly God, that's a good point i've never actually thought about that but now i know what my nightmares are going to consist of moving forward so thank I'm you i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true <laughs> it's so true like he definitely if elected will just go like full blitzkrieg and like just tear everything down because that again that piece of kind of re-election and any type of I guess rules or norms that he kind of had to fall into in his first term are just going to be completely out the window. I have not thought about that, but thank you yeah. so much for. But um... You know what? I am <laughs> curious though. We often talk about how we feel like DeSantis is way more dangerous than Trump because he really executes on the shitty things that Trump talks about, but sometimes kind of fails to actually, thankfully, execute on. And do you guys feel the same way? Like DeSantis is sort of. The more dangerous of the two, do you worry about what if like he actually wins the nomination? Just thoughts on the DeSantis situation. Yeah, I, I worry about DeSantis because I feel like people who aren't involved in politics as much as we are think he's not as bad as Trump. And so because they think he's not as bad, they think he's like a, a palatable version of him. Right. Like we can we can take our DeSantis that he'll he'll win and he'll win the the nomination and then it'll be it'll be really tough because the media has helped build this narrative of oh well Ron DeSantis you know he's conservative but he's not crazy like Trump oh yes the hell he is like if you look at what he's done in Florida it's it's terrifying everything from education to abortion to guns like on every level he is as bad as Trump and to your point I think more dangerous because he has figured out how to legislate now granted he's got like a very cooperative legislature with him so that helps but he's figured out how to just ram through this stuff that is still not popular but yet yeah it is managing to sail through because he's got the votes yeah and i would even argue too that trump DeSantis like actual policy that he's pushed us through is way worse than anything trump tried to do as president as well, as far as the kind of like the bigotry, even, you know, the stuff around guns, everything, I think on that state level and what he was, he's been able to get away with, like Trump's actual policies, I think don't even compare to, to in my personal perspective, as bad as what DeSantis is doing in Florida. I also think that Trump's an egomaniac and he wants mm-hmm. to be liked, right? And sometimes... You know, you could play that to your advantage potentially to, you know, kind of, you know, throw some roadblocks up to some really radical extreme policies. Like Ron DeSantis does not care (laughs) who you are, Mm -hmm. whether you're a business, whether you're a mayor 
whether you're you know a city council member, whatever, if you get in his way, he will come after you and seek vengeance. And I've literally been in meetings with elected officials in Florida who are like, I deeply oppose you know this policy that he's pushing, but I can't say anything because I'm afraid of him withholding money that our city needs for yeah. X policy. Evil yeah. and that is petty. Terrifying. Yeah. 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 That is yeah. so and true. Then, but then, in, you know, front facing, he puts on such like a kind of like composed, you know, classic politician, you know, mm-hmm. outwardly. Whereas Trump, again, it's kind of like so heinous outwardly and still heinous policy wise. But just like that's why DeSantis is so dangerous. Like he's just the policy is dangerous, but he is able to kind of trick people on the yep. comms PR front. Yeah. Well, first tangent in the books. We love to see it. <laughs> but we want to get into a little bit our I have a stupid question segment and specifically that's centered around, you know, what you guys do at CAP. And to kick it off, we want to really just explain to everyone, like, what is a policy institute? Is it different than a think tank? Is it the same thing? Can you kind of break that down for everyone? <laughs> Yeah, I think they're the same thing. I consider them to be basically <laughs> the same thing. It's funny because my my parents still don't quite understand exactly what it is that I do here. And I've worked here for a really long time. But a think tank is a place where really smart people are thinking up policy solutions that they think will better the American people. That is the the correct and generous definition of a think tank. I think there are some think tanks that don't do that, <laughs> that they are much more interested in, in just, you know, lining the pockets of wealthy people, but that's a tangent for another segment. So what's unique about CAP is that when we were formed 20 years ago, this is our 20th year, right? So we're like relative yeah. babies when it comes Happy to birthday. other think tanks. Thanks. <laughs> uh, you know, we were formed like not just with the brilliant policy minds, but with the idea that you have to invest in communications and outreach because you can write all the great white papers that you want, but if they sit on a shelf gathering dust somewhere and nobody knows about them, like who gives a shit? I hope I can curse. Sorry. Oh my um, God. Please. You are a good company with that one here. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. So, and that's why I was drawn to working here because I was at my comms person, but I love the idea of like policy creation, like in the context of, you know, political communications and advocacy and understanding that policy is implemented by whom? politicians so it's important to like be very connected to to all of that and you know i think that's why cap is really good at what we do yeah Yeah. and i'm super curious from like a technical perspective in terms of the policies that you guys come up with and the solutions that you know come to be how are those communicated to representatives like is that in the form of here is the policy like almost like a mock-up bill of like how you would how would they execute on it or is it more like here's the information go make the bill yourself is it both like what does that kind of look like it can take a variety of different forms oftentimes we'll you know we'll send memos kind of summarizing you know bodies of research and work that we've done what kind of priorities we think you know have to be a part of a solution and you know and turn the keys over to you know, the experts on the Hill who are working on these policies or, or sometimes we will work, you know, with offices and helping 
you know, refine and craft policies so that way, you know, they best serve, you know, particularly like the most low income and moderate income Americans to be able to, you know, ensure that they're reaching people how they're intended to, that they are, you know, actually growing the economy, giving people more economic security. So, you know, it can kind of take a variety of different forms. One other thing that we do in addition to like obviously researching policy, putting forward new ideas is also making sure that like we're not the only ones who are singing from the songbook, right? Because they're not going to hear our voices alone. They're going to hear them a lot more if they're coupled with like our nation's leaders, you know, joining the choir. And so, you know, empowering folks by making sure they have like talking points on all the, you know, on all the pressing issues, making sure that they're like, you know, communicating what's happening on the ground in their communities or in Washington out through their digital channels, you know, providing opportunities for them to come join us here at CAP by taking part in events or doing things like, you know, press calls or, you know, or events, you know, outside the Capitol, right? So we really, we try to do all of the above in our engagement with elected officials, both in Washington, as well as at, you know, the state and local level too. You know, a lot of the work that's happening right now around things like defending abortion rights or protecting voting rights, you know, in a divided Washington, like we have in Congress right now, you know, thankfully, we're seeing a lot of, you know, progressive accomplishments come out of places like Michigan, Minnesota, New Mexico, Maryland, so on and so forth. And in really looking to them to be kind of leading on some of the stuff that we're, you know, we're focused on every single day. Yeah. I'm also curious to how are think tanks and policy institutes typically funded? I think it's always important to kind of follow the money when looking at different policies that are proposed. So curious about that. Yeah. So every, you know, think tank is going to be different. So I could talk about how CAP is funded. I think the majority of our, our funding comes from private individuals, but a, a large like right up next to that is support from foundations, from charitable foundations, like, you know, the Ford Foundation, any Casey Foundation, you know, groups that care about advancing equity and best outcomes for people. That's the, I would say those are the two main buckets. We get a very small percentage, like less than 3% from corporate entities, and they fund just like general operating support, like the stuff that keeps our lights on. They don't actually fund programming itself. And we started years ago making our donors public. It's on our website under our supporters. Some think tanks don't do that. They should. We should always know where the money is coming from because there are a lot of groups that hide behind their 501c4 status and they don't have to disclose their donors, but they're like heavily involved in doing some really shady shit. Yeah, exactly. I was like thinking about that. There's probably so many orgs that could call themselves, you know, think tank policy institute, but it's just like Chevron funded and it's just them, you know, kind of fronting as some type of think tank trying to push certain policies. But yeah, I love that you guys obviously disclose donors. I think that's so important across the board in politics, but interesting, interesting piece of that puzzle. Yeah. And I'm curious too, have you guys ever had an issue where like someone's like, don't disclose my name, like keep me off the roster? (laughs) So on the individual side, we do allow some people to remain anonymous. 
And there are like stipulations about who can and who can't, like no corporations are allowed to be anonymous. It's only for individuals. And there's like varying reasons why some people do that. Like I know there's one funder in particular, like it, it was a safety issue about where they were giving their money to and the the safety that they felt could possibly be at risk if people knew where they're giving their money because that's the country we live in right now right so so yeah it's okay. not it's not a lot i forget the exact percentage from the last year but usually it's around the 10 percentage area which according to is it charity what's the 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 thing that like rates all charities and giving charity like, watch yeah, something like that. But we're well, like, under, like, what they consider to be too many anonymous people. Um, mm. And that is good to know. Well, the media is intermingled in this whole conversation. And some could say it could be to blame for how we got here. You know, there's definitely <laughs> some POV <laughs> on that. But I am curious about how you guys connect with media, how you work with media to try and get some of the data that you guys are collecting, the research that you guys are collecting to them and get those stories covered. So many, you know, whether it's an agency, an entity, et cetera, have different approaches to doing that. And I'm curious what CAPS is. Yeah. You know, ultimately, when we're engaging reporters around trying to uh, break down some of these really complex policies, you know, we want to do that a couple of different ways. One, we want to make sure that the information is digestible, like it's relatable to everyday people. It's relevant to what's happening in their lives. Two, we also want to make sure that like, we're not just giving people a boatload of data and saying, you know, you should write a story on this. But it's also, you know, who are the real voices that are impacted by these policies? And, you know, do we have a storyteller that can help, you know, put a human face on this issue? You know, do we have, you know, kind of other voices in coalition who may, you know, work with particular constituencies that are most impacted by a given policy that we partner with and trying to pitch them out, you know, to, you know, help feed media interest in, in actually getting them compelled to write. So there's a number of different ways that we do this in addition to, you know, also, you know, looking, you know, closely examining media and seeing like, where are the missing angles here, right? Like what voices are not being heard from? What narratives are, you know, maybe too influenced by special interests, right? And we're not actually getting kind of an authentic perspective. And so, you know, we'll consider all of those different factors and, and take all of those different strategies and tactics into account as we're, we're doing our media relations work. And then finally, I just say, you know, I think especially over the course of the past eight years or so, you know, I think a real challenge has been like the media has so much to focus on, right? Because there's just so much happening all at once. Things are really, you know, kind of scatterbrained, opaque, seem really alarming to people. And so it's really trying to exercise some like but you know maturity and like restraint in <laughs> really getting folks to focus on like the things that matter and not getting you know completely thrown off course by 
you know, the crazy tweet that, you know, Trump sent one day, right, in really focusing in on, like, what are the things that we know are actually going to, like, persuade the American people and or most impact, you know, their economic security. Yeah, I'm actually so curious about your perspective on this, because their last few days in terms of state politics have been insane. Like right now we have three representatives in Tennessee that are being expelled. We have Kansas that is literally, you know, just passed or overrode a veto from the governor regarding trans rights and trans kids and sports. I mean, there is there are so many things like you kind of alluded to, too, where it's like overwhelming. It's like, where do you even look first? But I've been noticing with like national media is that all they talk about is Trump's plane or Trump's <laughs> this thing, Trump's that thing. And granted, we did talk about Trump earlier. So I he's still relevant in a lot of different ways. But I feel like there is this constant situation with national media where they're just talking about what they feel like are these fiery points as opposed to the things that are genuinely affecting everyday people, which are these state happenings. And the resistance to covering any of these state happenings is kind of wild to me. Like it takes to the like 11th hour for them to finally be like, you know what, we're going to cover this. This might be relevant. This might be important. Meanwhile, it's like actually impacting hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lives, if not millions. And so I'm just curious like, what your perspective is on that and maybe just sort of your pulse on why that happens and how maybe we try and change that. That's the million dollar question, right? Like that is, it's hard. And there, I think there are many reasons why they media always chases the shiny object and they're, they're businesses, right? They're, there's a bottom line and they're trying to draw eyeballs either to a website to if anyone still subscribes to an actual paper paper or to what's happening on TV, right? They're trying to be number one in the ratings. And as long as following Trump's car from the airport to the courthouse, like he's OJ Simpson, gathers eyeballs, they're going to keep doing it, right? They're not learning the lessons of, you know, what happens when you ignore the things that are bubbling up in the States until they like erupt on a national stage. But the things that you just mentioned, the fact that like the Tennessee cases is wild to me, right? Like they were simply exercising their, I'm pretty sure first amendment right to to protest and they're going to kick them out. And there's like a case of something happening in Mississippi where the state is going to like impose a non-elected court over a jurisdiction that had already elected people happened to be majority black and like no one's talking about that and i tweeted into the void i was like this doesn't seem legal i don't understand yeah and so it can be really frustrating and like i think what what we can do here is constantly remind reporters of like what what really is important like yes i understand you we need to cover the trump thing it is historic he is the first former president to ever be indicted i get it it doesn't warrant the type of coverage that has been happening and when there are all these other stories that are out there so like we can't we have to figure out and be creative about how we talk about the things that we care about and and figure out different ways to break through and that's where colin's point about making sure that we're not just speaking alone that we've got our allies with us that we're showing that there's like support behind whatever we're talking about that this is what the american people really care about but it's it's just always going to be 
this to get the media to stop fawning over Trump's every single word and move. Yeah, well, it's crazy. I feel like you can watch like CNN or MSNBC or Fox every day and that could be your like civic engagement or like political, you know, engagement of the day. And you're not you're not getting civically engaged. Like you're tuning into political drama and you don't know anything about like the policies that you might like find helpful to be implemented in your life or like any of the actual kind of like bare bones and the important stuff that goes behind government. I think that's a big reason why too people are so disengaged. And if you aren't, you know, fully bought into the drug that is political cable news, then you know, it, it becomes also a turnoff to so many people and it just ultimately ends up with everybody not really wanting anything to do with it. And it's just such a cycle of such a major problem. But Colin, sorry, I didn't know if you want to say anything. No, I was just going to say, I mean, like the media thinks their coverage is amazing, but, <laughs> you know, they <laughs> also don't want to talk about like good news too. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the lowest right. employment rate that we've had in this country in 54 years was achieved under this president and have had unemployment below 4% for over 14 months in a row. You know, we've got a, you know, manufacturing, domestic manufacturing boom happening all over the country because, you know, producers are building electric vehicles, EV charging, you know, working on, you know, installing broadband all over the country. There's so much that's happening right now. It's hard to get the media, much less everyday Americans, to understand the moment in time that we're in when a lot of them haven't really seen the kind of progress that we're actually making right now in mm-hmm. so long, right? For a lot of Gen Zers, millennials, like, like me, right? Like, my orientation with politics has been like, oh, like jobs have been being like shipped overseas, right, for decades. And now for the first time, we're like bringing some jobs home. We're like taking on special interests like big pharma, negotiating drug prices, like mm-hmm. the cost of insulin. Like, what is this? Right. <laughs> it's there's pressure that needs to be brought to bear on the media to actually cover good news. Yeah. And take on just the, you make money by covering the drama, right? But also, there's also a figment of, like, needing to inspire people's imaginations again. And, like, getting them to believe in their government, being able to, like, achieve some things. That is so key. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it's easy to feel, you know, disaffected if your rights are being taken away, if you're what you're seeing on TV is, you know, paralysis and drama around, like even just consider like how some of the bills that we've done, like the infrastructure bill or like the president's clean energy, you know, and prescription drug plans and stuff like that, like how they were covered. It was like, oh, can you get one person's, but not like this is the impact that's going to be brought to bear on people's lives. And people are about to have a lot more job opportunities that help them like make a good living, raise their families, like retire with dignity after a lifetime of hard work, as opposed to just what's the horse trading? Who's the holdout? Like, you know, 
and and what do they want in exchange that kind of stuff just doesn't matter at the end of the day like you know the impact of some of these things so yeah i'd also just add that i think connecting the dots can be so difficult especially when like a bill like what was built back better and then you know turned into (laughs) its current iteration when it includes also so much when it becomes these huge packages, it becomes harder and harder to explain. I remember we were asked to go on a pod to explain some of the environmental features and us trying to recap even just that, even though it's positive. It was like, how many hours do you have? I mean, we got to go line item by line item, <laughs> which is a positive thing. But if we're struggling to be able to take that into one little blob and explain it out, mm-hmm. you know, it becomes challenging. And I think if it's not happening in your exact backyard, it's really hard to visualize. Like if you're not seeing that factory open in your hometown, if you're not seeing that infrastructure project get off the, you know, ground I'm and sorry, you know, you find my my conservative uncle posted yesterday. Oh god. He posted this meme and it said like it was like a picture of Biden and he was like build back better. And he was like, but nothing's built, nothing's back, and nothing's better. And I'm like, Oh, well, that's not true. Bless your heart. And I like when it's it's literally feeds to that point, too. It's like how honestly, especially given that I'm sure the media he consumes is on a certain side. It's like, how is he supposed to fully understand what's in that bill? But, but it's not it's not getting fed, you know, in the media realm as well. But sorry, Sam. Yeah, I was like, no, I was, really was I was like giggling. I was like, I that is. Up. Oh my God. Honestly, uh, thank God you have a conservative uncle, though, because it keeps us entertained. Yeah. <laughs> it gives a lot of like great anecdotes to this podcast. There's always oh, something. It does. Yeah, like, so sure. My fam is very liberal. Thank God. <laughs> thank God. I really got lucky there. All of the, you know, I have a nice people mix. that ex- Yeah, you've got a real mix over there. But I think the communication element is so key. And I know you guys have been working on this so much in terms of newsletters and getting actually these fact sheets out there and especially on the EV end of things. And I'm curious what that's been like, what that process has looked like and what you think, too, people need to know, voters, constituents, et cetera, need to know about these new climate change related policies that are going to make a difference, even if it's not immediately this moment. It's in two months from now. It's in six months from now. Like, what does that you know, look like and what are the big takeaways? Yeah, I'm going to turn it over to Colin to to talk about that. Just an anecdote that we love sharing here at CAP when you talk about people not knowing what the benefits are. So our, our colleague Julia was telling the story about how, was it a hot water heater? And that her mom didn't realize, she needs a new hot water heater, but she did not realize because of the bill that was just passed, like she can get a massive rebate on it. And she's like, yay. But you know, this is somebody who is a Democrat, it's like, you know, progressive. And just didn't understand like that part of the bill. So like, there's a lot of work to be done to make sure that people understand how almost anything that is in their life can be, there's one thing that is positively impacted by the suite of bills that have just been passed. Colin. Yeah, I love that story. Bless Julia's mom. She's like the perfect anecdote. You know, I think, I think our real intent in sending out these newsletters, right, is to take these, you know, we haven't really as a country done much like investing in America for several decades since in doing like big industrial policy since World War II. So it's been a little while, right? And 
oftentimes I think these things can be covered right now as like, this award is going out for 75, $75 million to this community, or like we're making, you know, a $200 million investment to, you know, clean up lead pipes or, you know, this bridge is coming. It's not focused on this $75 million is creating 183 jobs that are paying $88,000 a year. That's $35,000 more than the average worker is making in the county where these jobs are coming. That new bridge is going to cut, you know, people's commutes by 20 minutes every day, letting them get home to their kids faster so they can get food on the table and get them to bed they can have a few minutes to relax at night or catch their breath, right? And so our real focus in setting up these newsletters, right, is what kind of impact is this having on people's quality of life? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, yes, people want clean drinking water. They want fresh air. They don't want to live in p- polluted communities, they also want jobs, but they want to know that their lives are a little bit easier. They want to know just how these policies are like actually impacting their lives. And so I'll just use one kind of anecdote. You brought up like the EV stuff, Sam. You know, I was working on this newsletter a few weeks ago, and I'm from a town called Plano in in North Texas. And I was working in this newsletter and I was looking into like several different vehicle charging infrastructure manufacturers, right? Because they got, you know, this was a big part of the bipartisan infrastructure law was, up, you know, creating a, a national network of EV chargers, right? So if you're on the highway, you're in the community, whatever, you can charge up. So we're going to need those by the end of the decade. And... It was incredible to me, just as I was looking up, you know, what was happening in North Texas, like within a 40 mile span, uh, a 40 mile you know span of space in, in North Texas, three huge manufacturers are creating like these massive plants to produce tens of thousands of these fast charging EV chargers that are paying, you know, good wages, right? And this is just what's happening in like one community, right? And, you know, you you kind of multiply that out, like what's happening like across the rest of the country, much less across the state of Texas. And like, it's absolutely incredible what's happening right now. And, you know, I think one other thing that I just add is that, you know, one thing that we try to do in addition to looking at like the quality of life stuff is also... You know, when these announcements are made, it doesn't just have an impact on like the people who are going to work at, you know, the let's say the chip manufacturer, the big chip manufacturer in Maricopa County, Arizona. Right. Like it's not just those thousands of workers who, you know, are getting good jobs. Right. It's also like we work with a storyteller. Our stories team works with a storyteller who owns a dry cleaning company in Maricopa County, who just got the like the laundry services contract for the big plant out there. And they're going to have, they're adding over 600 jobs to their dry cleaning company because of these kind of investments. And so yeah. you know, there really is just a huge kind of trickle effect with 
all the stuff that's like all the you know investments and whatnot that are being made that are going to grow our economy and like make people's lives better that is being kind of completely underreported but is just massively massively yeah. going to change the game for people and then finally i just say you know it's also making sure that like when we've got these investments we're also kind of retooling like the workforce development and education programs and whatnot so that they're actually like preparing people for these jobs. So like you've got like, you know, colleges like UTD or like training people on like chip manufacturing or like electric vehicle, you know, production processes and whatnot. So that way they're, they're graduating in like, and going to be ready for ready, yeah. uh, for these jobs so that they can take advantage of all the investments that we're making. So there's yeah. just a lot, you know, there's so much to unpack. And so we're really, you know, really trying to like paint that picture for folks, right? And like inspire their imagination because, you know, a lot of folks have never seen this before. Yeah. I'm curious too, like outside of like external orgs, like you guys who are, you know, doing the work to communicate all of this, like who do you think needs to do better like as far as getting this all (laughs) broken down into the american people i mean it's really true like especially this infrastructure package is monumental like and it's gonna have monumental impacts on people's lives who needs to do better at communicating that like how do you guys think the white house is doing obviously i i don't really have any hope in cable news or like (laughs) cnn or any main you know news channels communicating it but what are some of the solutions you think like kind of internally at like the White House and, you know, even the Democratic Party? What is their responsibility to make sure, you know, this that people actually understand what's going on with this? I mean, they have a huge responsibility, right? Like this is what they and you see it now, like the president and vice president are on the investing in America tour. I think so we're calling yeah. it. It's Joe Um, Chella. Joe Chella. Yes, Joe Chella. Sorry. But yeah, they have a big responsibility to make sure that they're using their bully pulpit uh, to the extent that they can garner coverage to go out into these states and localities to talk about these things. They may not be able to or even want to break through on a national media while Trump is doing whatever he's doing, but they're getting great coverage locally, right? And so how can we make sure that cabinet officials are also traveling and doing the same thing. And, you know, look, members of Congress, God bless them, some of some are just better at this than others, but they all need to get really good at talking about what they've been doing in DC and how it yeah. directly benefits the people. They know these people on the ground better than than we do, better than people in the White House. These are their constituents. So I'm hoping that they are upping their game and using the tools at their own disposal to make sure that when investments come in, that not only are they doing like a press release or they're at the ribbon cutting or whatever, but they're holding a town hall or they're sending out mail or going door to door and explaining, hey, you're really excited that the school is getting refurbished after years. Well, it's because of this bill that I you know, voted for that the president put into law. Do you think those like classic press conferences, though, or even this tour is effective in reaching the people that need to be reached? I I'm just also I don't know. I I think about, you know, who goes to town halls and who, you know, pays attention to some of these local press conferences. It's the people who are probably already engaged, but there's so many kind of untapped people that also need to be communicated to. And I again, I don't know the answer of like what the best way to get the word out is, but I'm just like 
sometimes I question whether, you know, the classic kind of like press conference rounds tours are mm-hmm. effective. I don't know. And, yeah, I, I think it has to be all of the above because there's still a segment of people usually tend to be older who do go show up in town halls. And these are people yeah. who vote, right? Like they will, they will vote in every single election. So you need to make sure that you're talking to them where they are. But as we always say in comms, you have to meet people where they are. So if you're also not engaging folks on social media and explaining these things in a way that makes sense for the platform that you are on, like nobody wants to hear your like, eight minute soliloquy on Instagram. But if you're being clever about how you're talking about this stuff and making sure that people understand, like I said, meeting them where they are, I think that's that's a crucial element. And we know some people are better at that than others. And and I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> I, I think you ask a or you make a great point, Maddie, that like, do these things get covered? They actually really do at the local level, right? Like if the governor of the state is doing an event with like this cabinet official or like this person from the White yeah. House around the implementation of these policies, like it actually is really getting covered on local media. And we know that's actually what a lot of people watch. They watch local broadcast at night, right? And I think the thing to be thinking through is like, How do you get that story covered like on day two after that visit on day three after that visit right and is making sure that that every time like local news too right totally totally different platforms all of that Mm -hmm. uh but then it's also you know it's it is getting like the elected officials to like i was saying earlier like we haven't you know we haven't made these kind of investments in a long long time right and so i think there's just a lack of like muscle that's been worked up on how do you go and sell these things right like what's my responsibility to do that right and so i think folks are are candidly like learning that muscle right now and and hopefully that's gonna just get stronger and stronger and i think we'll also get a little bit easier too is their you know their communities are more familiar with like oh yeah, like that terminal is being expanded at my airport, right? Or like this company is coming to, you know, to our city and it's gonna, you know, create a whole bunch of new job opportunities. Like I think as that is just a little bit more socialized, like folks are going to be stronger ambassadors to go, you know, make the case to voters too. And also like, you know, shout out to congressional staffers, right? Because this is where you see a big difference like people who hire well and who have staffers who you know know how to make compelling content on instagram or tiktok like those are ones who get it and those are ones who are able to like you know if you're doing like a groundbreaking at the new wing of an airport like they're going to take that and make like a 10 second or 15 second really funny video out of it that might grab somebody's attention right like you It is like an all of the above thing. And I think to your point, Colin, like figuring out, like getting out of the, we did a press release, we did an event, we -hmm. got coverage on local news, we're done. It's like, no, we have to like extend the story because we have to keep talking about these successes because people will move on. They'll they'll move on to the next thing. And so Mm -hmm. it's important to keep reminding like, no, no, no. Remember, like there's good stuff happening. 
And yeah, it's me. I did it. I did we need it. some influencer campaigns. <laughs> I went to uh, I went to the infrastructure or the Golden Gate Bridge got, you know, one, one of the large bridge grants from the infrastructure package. And so, you know, Pete Buttigieg was there, Nancy Pelosi, the mayor, and they did a whole press conference there that I went to. And it was just like press. And then, I, you know, it circulated on the local news and then that was it. But, you know, there's so many, you know, construction companies and, and such who are being contracted for now this big project. And it's like, how can we get all of that can, to continue to circulate because I think you can... have a really good video of you making direct eye contact with Pete. So that might be why might be. Yeah. Hard. And I made a little, I made a little TikTok about it. Okay. <laughs> and I think if there's more of that, you know, it can be just like evergreen content too, for these reps to be able to use and then to recirculate with, you know, their followings and their email lists or whatever it is. But yeah, I think there's a lot of work to be done, especially given how monumental, especially this infrastructure package specifically is, you know. And that that's a really good point about like thinking outside of the box when it comes to influencers and surrogates to talk about this work. Yeah. After the IRA was passed, there was a celebration IRA. And <laughs> so all the people who like toiled for months and it seems like years on this bill came together. And so I'm in the room and I turn around, I'm like, why is there a property brother here? And I was like, why are both of them here? <laughs> and it was explained. I mean, I'd love the property brothers, but it was explained. There's a lot of provisions in here about, you know, building green, clean homes. And the two of them are really big into like sustainable, like what is it? Heat pumps and solid heat pumps in your house versus like whatever the hell is I have in my house. And so that's why they were there. And I'm like, well, I know I'm not the only one who watches HGTV all the time. It's like, yeah. who else is out there who I would have never thought to like reach out to the property brothers, but like who else is doing work that's related to the stuff that's in this bill that has like some sort of following that should be engaged in all this outreach work. Absolutely. Because even like with that, even if they don't post about it, it's like the word of mouth, like that directly affects their business. The next time they're on site, and they're talking to some contractors there, they're going to chat about that. And then they're like, oh, wait, I have this solution because XYZ thing happened. So it's also having those people in the room to be able to regurgitate the information and like actually show the application. Because like, I, I'm trying to think of like, okay, like I know absolutely nothing about chips besides like what I read in a release. Like your girl's not a STEM girl. I wish I were. It would be cool. But like, just didn't get the math genes on my end. But Same. like, it just, Damn. you know, sometimes it skips a generation. And I think it skipped like 10 of mine. But regardless, <laughs> we we made it. We're here. But like, I wouldn't be the right person to then talk to another STEM person about chips and like how they're being built and why they need to be built here. You know, I can give an overview, but it's not going to resonate the same as to someone that literally majored in the sciences and understands how those things are built. Like a few of my friends, all engineers, I'm the lone non-engineer pretty much. And they get it. They sell chips. They make chips. They engineer them. They're inventing this stuff. And for them, they can they can make convo about it all day. And they're yeah. the people that need to be in the room too. But so, I think also the like whole the ripple effect, like you mentioned too, about you know the laundromat, like and how what that brings as well. I mean, even kind of showing the way that one policy reaches way more people than what you think. I mean, like even mm -hmm. you know student debt relief is like 
you know, realtors are for it because then that helps more people, you know, be able to buy their first home. It's like, how can you show the way that the ripple effect continues to all these other issues that actually affect people's lives? Like I don't have a student, I don't have student debt, but like to see then my parents are realtors and like, maybe that can help them with their real estate business. You know, it's just like the way that you can see the way that these things all are interconnected is so important. I think a really big piece of that communications puzzle, but what an amazing conversation so many tangents in the literal best way (laughs) thank you guys so much for coming on but before we wrap up can you guys plug where people can find cap where people can find the pod you guys like anything you want to push out there please do sure well you can find cap at americanprogress.org you can find us on Twitter at Amprog. Cap Action is AmericanProgressAction.org and at Cap Action on Twitter. And I think also it's the same for Instagram for both of them. And you can find the Tent Podcast at the Tent Pod, hosted by me and Colin. I am also on Twitter, although decidedly less so these days, but I still go on, on random ass tangents about reality shows. I'm at DGibber123. Love it. Get it. And I'm C.M. Seaburger on Twitter. So follow me Love there. It. Wait, which yeah. reality shows are you ranting about on Twitter? <laughs> so I am big into Real Housewives of Atlanta, Potomac, Salt Lake City. Yes, very specific to those three. Okay. Uh, I'm apparently going to be watching Bravo's Summer House because a former colleague is starring in the Martha's Vineyard version. I yes, know. I'm so excited that. about the new one. Yes. That's Preston, so exciting. Who we interviewed we, on the podcast. No way. Way. <laughs> okay, Learn I'm just like new every adjacently day. excited. Also, um, did you guys see that there's going to be a wiener dog on that one? Because that got me beyond excited. <laughs> I was like, immediately, yes. Besides, I was just amped in general and love the vineyard. Also, Potomac obsessed. Same. So we're going to need to have a side conversation about that. Oh, absolutely. So, I I am also obsessed with Salt Lake City and my my current thing for the day is our girl Jen Shaw is down in federal prison in Mm. Bryan, Texas. And apparently her manager, I saw today on Instagram that she is not letting prison keep her down and is basically launching the Real Housewives of Bryan from federal prison. And wait, is is that for real? Mm hmm. So he says it's in the early phases and Jen is taking time to teach some of her new crew how to read and write. However, which is commendable. Yes, yes. The script apparently revolves around the real life of the housewives residing at the federal prison center in Bryan. So stop uh, it now. (laughs) Wait, that's crazy. I don't watch Salt Lake City, so I don't know all of that, but I do know about the whole Jen Shaw drums. But crazy stuff we also need both of you to watch Vanderpump Rules just this one season I haven't watched any other season I just watched the current one just for all the drama and I think it's it's you're gonna want to get involved I picked (laughs) it up I picked it up halfway through after learning of all the drama um and it is wild um Mm -hmm. it had been a long time I don't know if you saw Schwartz last night yes but I saw some clips crazy (laughs) Y'all are going to make me have to start watching the show. No, you actually it's must. so good. It's so addicting. And honestly, like like Maddie said, it's like this last season, you don't even need to have like watched any of the past. Like it's just yes. like rock and go kind of thing. Okay. All right. My that's new, good. 
my new thing is I was always like a holdout on Miami, but Me. my younger sister, after much a, a really aggressive lobbying campaign, finally <laughs> got me to start watching, and that was nuts. Lenny and what's her name? Lisa. Lisa, that was crazy, insane, and yeah. the what you want to call it the hot mic moment. I was like, I was about to call it a short mic. Yes. I don't know why. <laughs> wild i just i can't but yeah nonetheless nonetheless there it is well joe we'll biden's to... america bringing you the best reality tv drama that we have had in some time so. very no, true nobody's That's... talking about that nobody's Correct. talking about exactly build reality and... tv back better okay baby <laughs> <laughs> and it's been it's been better <laughs> thank you guys so much for coming on this thank so you fun. thank Thanks, you Joe.